We started this series of Easter worship sermons on Easter Sunday. This is, if you're keeping track, the sixth Sunday of seven in Eastertide and after that Pentecost. So next Sunday is the last in this celebration. And as we continue to worship the Lord and to think together about worship, I just want to say thank you uh, to you, church, for Uh, loving and discipling our kids. Uh, We had a chance to be away with them and and serve the Lord. And Melanie, after Casey graduated from college last Friday, said it would be good since all the kids and grandkids are here, we should just go away for a while. And I wondered where we were going to go, like to Bermuda or Siberia or somewhere. But no, we went to Austin. And I remember remember at the time thinking, why are we going to Austin? But it was great because we were there and and we were in a house together for five days, which is about right. I mean, you know, you do like four, it's too short, six, maybe too long, but five was awesome. And uh, it was just an amazing time together. And so as we come back together, I just want to say I'm grateful to worship with you. I I got a chance last week online just to share in that experience, and I appreciate our folks who week by week are so faithful online. And what I've learned about worship in this series, or I've been reminded, is that worship is really response. So God is the great initiator in worship. He speaks, and we listen. He speaks, and we answer him in prayer. So Eugene Peterson is called prayer answering speech. Thank you. Sean Boyd for a great sermon on prayer last weekend and just the reminder that really the whole worship service functions as a prayer. We're all answering God together as we worship him. So God speaks and we listen and we speak back to God in prayer and we sing and we make music to the Lord and God gives to us. He gives his son. He gives his Holy Spirit and we give back to God in response to his giving. I remember some years ago, some of you were with us down at the historic St. John's in the Third Ward, and we were swapping pulpits, T. Grant Malone and I were, and Pastor Dr. T. Grant Malone said something I will never forget. When it came time for the offering, he said, you can sing, and you can pray, and you can preach, but you have not worshiped if you have not given. And it was just a moment for me to think, wow, I've never, I've never heard it said like that. I remember sitting down here one night with my friend Carrie Tillman, a pastor down in Galveston, and when the offering plate came by, and, and Carrie was preaching that night, but he gave to our offering. And, and um, I did not give to our offering that night because Melanie had already given online, but afterward, he took me to task, and he said, why didn't you give to the offering? And I said, well, I, I give every week. My, my wife, we do it on, on, online. And he said, how do your people know that? It was just a moment where I thought, wow, okay. So he is setting an example for his church by giving. So his words remind me that the early church had a reputation for giving. So Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, about the grace of giving And then in chapter 9, verse 12, he uses an interesting word. He uses a worship word to talk about their giving. And he says, this liturgy, this liturgia that you perform when you give. As if to say, giving is part of worship. 
Would you open your Bibles with me, 2 Corinthians? I'm going to read one verse from chapter 8 and then some verses from chapter 9 and then share with you some thoughts on this together. Let's stand together in the worship of God who speaks to us in his word. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, do you know this one? This is all about grace, the grace of giving. For you know the grace. You know, don't you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then this in chapter 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So context is everything. The Apostle Paul, if you remember this, is talking to believers in the first century. He's trying to get the Gentiles who live out in Macedonia, which is sort of northern Greece, and Achaia, which is southern Greece, He's trying to get them to raise an offering for the believers in Jerusalem who are struggling. There's apparently a famine, a recession going on in Jerusalem. And these who live in these other places have plenty. But the Jews, through whom Christ came, through where the church started, they don't have any they don't have anything to eat. They don't have enough. And so he's trying to get them. And he actually plays the the northerners against the southerners. He tells the southerners in Corinth and Athens, hey, you wouldn't believe how the people in the north gave, and now it's your chance, and I'm sending uh, Titus, and he's gonna take up this offering, and, and we're going to give it, and this is Paul's trip back to Jerusalem. That's the context for this, but it ends up in chapters eight and nine, maybe Paul's richest teaching on the grace of giving. And it's interesting, he uses the word grace. It's highly concentrated here. And he talks about how the, the Macedonian believers, even though they were poor, their great joy welled up in, in, in generosity and they gave. And then he calls upon the church to do that. And what he shows us is this amazing cycle of grace that leads to gratitude, that leads to generosity. Um, a book that we considered as a staff not long ago asked the question, Will Mancini. He said, what does your church do better than 10,000 other churches? If somebody just asked you that, how would you answer that question? Some would say, well, we, we make amazing music with a choir and orchestra and a, a congregation that sings. Through the years, I've always heard that Tallowood was a Sunday school church. I think 
uh, Cloyce and, and Larry H. and now Glenn uh, would agree with that, that this is a church where we gather together to study God's word. That's a good reputation to have. But I'll tell you what I hear from people outside of Tallowood. They ask me, they say, what kind of church is Tallowood? And I say, so it's a life-giving church. It's given life to me and my family. And so we want to give life to others. Your reputation as a church in our state, you should know, is a reputation of generosity. That the history of Tallowood is that above and beyond expectation, in response to God's good gift of grace, this church has found a way to bless other churches and other ministries by giving generously. You've heard of a vicious cycle, but I want to show you a victorious cycle. God gives grace, and we give thanks to him and then we give grace to others. And then the people who receive that grace give thanks to him. And then it starts all over again as God continues to give grace to his people. I've often wondered, we who are saved by grace, what happens to the grace after we're saved? The good news is it doesn't go stale. It continues to work. In fact, grace transforms us into gracious people, grateful for God's gift and gracious. If you're wondering, what do I do with all this grace that God has given to me? I just have two thoughts this morning. First of all, we ought to say it. We ought to say grace. Some of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I have more than I can say grace over right now. I have so much on my plate. I have more. I just want to say we all have more then we can say grace over because God has been good to us. In worship first, we say grace. We thank God as we depend on God's power to provide for us. It's in that verse nine where he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich in heaven forever, but he came down to earth and he became poor. We think of that as as his humility, but it's also his generosity. And in response, we receive his grace. This is not material gifts. This is the riches of salvation. And it makes us generous people who not only receive life, but want to give life to other people. So notice just a couple of things uh, about this God's beautiful gift of giving to us. When God gives us grace, this is, he says, if you will, just look at chapter 9, verse 8. That's all I'm going to unpack for us today. It's comprehensive provision. He says, in all things, at all times, having all that you need. In all things. That's, that's a comprehensive kind of gift that God has given us. One of my favorite verses, my life verse, Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness all things, notice it's constant giving at all times, in all things, at all times. It's this constant provision from God who is always giving good gifts to us. Jesus looked at his disciples on that mountain as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he, he simply uh, said to them, don't, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't your life more than than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? And then he, he says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not much more valuable than they? My friend Robert Creech, who cares a lot about God's created earth, uh, put me onto the Merlin app. Uh, you can find that. I hope not right now, but at some point you can find it. And it, it identifies birds by the sounds of their voices. So I've just been learning. I'm always learning about God's world. He said, look at the birds, so that's what I'm doing. And here's what I've learned about birds in this season. The ones from Carolina make the sweetest sounds. The, the Carolina wren, the Carolina chickadee, amazing. Crows, jays, not so much. Not quite as beautiful, but the dominant bird in the uh, sort of sound ecosystem of Hershey Park right now, probably in our area, the Northern Cardinal. We call them red birds, right? And I was listening to one of them. They say a lot of different things, red birds do. They talk to each other, by the way. So you hear one say something, and then one over in another tree says something back. It's almost call and response. And one morning I was listening, and at first it sounded like the bird was saying, Febreze, Febreze, Febreze. And I was like, I don't know what that means. But then I listened more closely, and I'm telling you, it sounded like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And that's what Jesus was teaching when he said, look at the birds. They're not worried. Think about Corey Asbury's song, Sparrow. The, sparrow's, the sparrow is not worried about tomorrow or, or the, the, the things that it will bring. And then the, the chorus of that song, he's singing to God, and Corey Asbury sings for us, doesn't he, when he says... You take good care of me. You take good care of me. And you are all I need. You take good care of me. Comprehensive provision, constant provision, customized provision. So in all things, at all times, all that you need. But notice this, the word you is not singular there. It's plural. It's all that you, God's people, need. God provides. And so the Apostle Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 19, will simply say, um, in response to God's good gift to him through the Philippian church, he says, and my God will meet all your needs. How? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That God gives us everything we need, all that we need at all times, uh, everything that we need in all things. God provides richly for us. And the early church, in response to that, made sure that nobody had a need. So in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, all believers were together, had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. So they didn't need the government to tax them so the government could give to others. Instead, they willingly gave of themselves to each other. And in Acts chapter 4, it goes on to say, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. There were no, listen to that. There were no needy persons. I was thinking about how God has given us everything we need. So in recent weeks, I noticed uh, Pirachelle. I don't know if Pirachelle's here this morning, but uh, Pirachelle has a ministry to churches. Yeah, Pirachelle in Uganda. And he went back to Uganda recently, and he baptized a bunch of people in Uganda. And when he came back, I said, what do they need? These are new believers. What do they need? He said, well, they need Bibles. And so this week, I remembered that. It was when I was praying through our prayer request from last week. 
And I just checked in with Jeremy and I said, can we provide Bibles for these folks? And Jeremy said, absolutely, from the missions budget, we can do that. Sonia Stoichich, who grew up in our student ministry, graduated from UT uh, this weekend. And Sonia said to me, I'm staying in Austin and I'm going to minister to the students at UT. I'm going to do a two-year uh, time here and I need support. And I just said, we will be a part of that. So out of the pastoral designated, uh, we've committed to two years of support, $500 a month for this young lady who was baptized out at Camp Eagle at Camp Tallowood and who continues in ministry there in Austin. And I just want to say, God gives us what we have so that we can give to others. So in worship, we say grace. And in worship, second thought, we share grace. We try God's plan out as we decide to do good by giving. So listen to what he says at the end of that. In all things, at all times, having all that you need. That's comprehensive. That's constant. That's custom-sized for this church. He says, you will abound in every good work. God blesses us abundantly so that we will abound. So God abounds and we abound in good works. And this is what God has called us to do. And he sets out some principles of giving. The first thing he says in his earlier letter to them, and he's just reminding them in this passage, but in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, he says, set aside every week on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, set aside some money that you're going to give to help out with this offering. So he's teaching us what? That our giving is regular, that it's a response in worship to what God has done for us. So we give regularly. Not only do we give regularly, we give proportionately. So he says, according to your means. That's in chapter 8, verse 5. He goes on to say, we give generously. So whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever gives generously will also reap generously. And as an example, in chapter 8, he talks about those Macedonian believers, the ones in Philippi particularly, And he says, the amazing thing is they didn't have much, but they had a lot of joy. And here's the equation he gives us. This is a beautiful equation. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. See, I wouldn't have thought that that added up that way. But Paul did. And he put it in God's word. The people there were poor, but they had a lot of joy. And so they were very generous. I think of Basil the Great, one of the great preachers I read about uh, some summers ago with one of our students at Truett, we were reading, preaching from the past and from the early centuries of the church, Basil the Great says, the bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. We give generously out of costly generosity. Another way of saying that is we give sacrificially. Where will we learn to give sacrificially? Well, how much did generosity cost God? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus, Philippians 2, not only comes down to earth, but he dies on the cross. He gives sacrificially. He goes on to say we give joyfully, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So he says God loves a cheerful Giver, I'll never forget preaching at a church in Zambia when it came time for the offering. But instead of passing the offering plate and a serene sort of moment in the church, people came dancing to the front of the church. 
joyfully bringing whatever they had brought to church that day. And I asked the, the elders, they didn't have a pastor at that time. And I was kind of thinking about being their pastor, but I already have a job here. So, but I said to the elders and they, they were, they were, I think they were checking me out to see, and I didn't really um, make it. But, but, but while I was there, I said, so why do you dance joyfully coming forward? And they, they cited this verse, God loves a cheerful, you know, that word in Greek is hilarious. Hilarious. We have a little girl in our church named Hilaria. I don't know if she's here this morning, but I love that name to give. So what is grace? John Stott said grace is God loving. It's God stooping. It's God coming to the rescue. It's God giving himself generously, sacrificially in and through Jesus Christ. This is the grace that we have been given. And I'm just telling you, we were created to give and we were redeemed by grace to give grace to other people. In this polarized world, I find myself saying to friends in these days, give lots of grace to the people who disagree with you. Give lots of grace in these days. This is not a time to art for the Lord's servants to quarrel and to argue, but rather to be gracious with each other. So another pastor who watched birds, John Stott watched birds, by the way, but so did Eugene Peterson. There's a, there's a pattern here. And Eugene Peterson was up in Montana, which I know you think of Texas as God's country, but if you've ever been to Montana, you know Montana is God's country. Both days of summer are amazing. <laughs> the 363 days of winter are really hard. I'm just being honest about that. But those two days of summer are amazing. And Eugene Peterson's watching a family of swallows, and there's a mama bird, and there's three baby birds, and they're all on a limb. Are you with me? And she starts moving. And she's pushing those baby birds out. And then, sort of like the monkeys on the bed, one falls off. But the mama knows what the bird doesn't know, that when that bird lets go, it was made to fly. And before it hit the water in the lake below, it began to pump its wings, and it flew. Then she, second bird, and the second bird flies. It's beautiful. The third bird, though, is a more bulldog tenacious. So she moves, and the, and the bird doesn't want to let go. So it lets go just enough that it swings upside down and then clamps again because it's not letting go. And what the baby bird, Bulldog Tenacious, doesn't know is that the mama bird is more tenacious. And the mama bird starts pecking at the, at the claws of the, of the bird until the bird lets go, and the bird begins to fly. Look, birds can walk. Birds can cling, but we'll all agree today, birds were ultimately made to fly. And you and I, one of our challenges, one of the reasons we don't live generously is because we're like the third bird. We just don't know. This is what God made us for, that life is better when you and I take the life that God has given us, the grace that he's given us, and we give that grace away. It was on our last day in Austin that I finally figured out why we were there. Our kids uh, said, let's go to Kirby Lane. Turns out there's a lot of, anybody here ever eaten at Kirby Lane Cafe? There's a lot of them there in that town. And we were trying, some of our kids were headed to Arkansas, some were headed to McKinney, and so we were trying to go north, and they were all south of us. And finally I checked, and there's a Kirby Lane in Round Rock, which is north. So we go north, and we eat this wonderful meal there at Kirby Lane, and then we're sitting there, and our daughter, who's just graduated from college, she says, so where's that children's home that I used to live in before you adopted me? 
And I said, let's ask Siri. She'll know. Mays Street. We were on Mays Street. It turns out the children's home, Texas Baptist Children's Home, also on Mays Street. 1.1 miles away, Siri said. We got in our car and we started driving that way. And Casey said, I'd like to look at the cottage where I lived after my mom died. So we did. We drove by it. And she said, I'd like to look at the cottage where my mom and I lived when she died. So we drove by it. We even went up and knocked on the door. Nobody answered. If I were them, the way we looked on vacation, I wouldn't have opened the door either, to be honest. But then she said, what if we asked at the office? So we drive to the office and the lady, Debbie Ripstein, Larry, you know her, Debbie Ripstein, who was the lady who placed Casey and her mother, Christy, in Round Rock because there there wasn't an opening at Gracewood here. She's now the president of Texas Baptist Children's Home. And she hears we're there and she comes down and she's so proud of Casey for graduating and Casey says, I wanna see the places I used to live. So we go to the cottage where she lived after her mom died with seven little girls and we walk through that place and she said, this is where I cut my foot and and that's where my bed was and we looked and that's where I ate and that's where mom and pop toner took care of eight kids for 30 something years, a continual revolving door of children that they were rescuing and loving and Casey said, I gotta get in touch with them while we're here in town. And so we did. And she said, I wanna see the place where my mom died. So they let us go back and we go into this place and we walk through and Casey's pointing out things. Then when she gets that hallway, she said, I can't go down there. I can't go down that hallway. And we embraced her. And after 13 years of story, which all pointed to from the day she moved in with us, she was gonna get to this place, she was gonna go to college and she was gonna graduate and all that has come true. And she looked at us and she said, someday I'm gonna adopt a baby from this place because the cycle of grace is never complete until we say grace until we share grace. And most of us know that the church is the home where we first found grace. And this is the place where every Sunday morning at this time, at the top of our lungs, we say grace. And then we leave this place and we share it every chance we get. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the grace we have found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to say grace, to give thanks. God, you you take good care of us, and we are thankful for that. You are all we need. In answer to the question, what did I get out of church today? Jesus, we got you, and it turns out you're everything we need. And Lord, I pray that we would be careful to share you, to share your love, because there are so many people who don't yet know how much you love them. And Father, since we know, we ought to say it. We ought to share it. And we thank you, God, for all that you've done in this place for all these years. We thank you for what you're doing today. And yes, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.